This is MuggleCast, the Harry Potter podcast discussing everything about J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Welcome to MuggleCast episode 372. I'm Andrew. I am Eric. And I'm Micah. And it is the anniversary month of Order of the Phoenix. And we're going to continue our theme for the month of June, talking about particular elements of the fifth book. Today we're going to talk about fresh faces of the Phoenix. Of the of the Phoenix. <laughs> Not Phoenix. Well, Phoenix gets a new face every once in a while, right? Yeah, but I said Phoenix, T-H, instead of P-H. Oh. Oh, Phoenix. Hmm. I deeply apologize. Maybe I shouldn't have said anything. Nobody would have noticed. <laughs> anyway, we're going to talk about these new characters who were introduced, and what would have happened if they were introduced in the series earlier? What would have happened if they weren't introduced at all? We're going to get theorizing. So we'll do that later today. I also have a single voicemail to play, which um, is just really short and to the point, and I think really good. Uh, okay. <laughs> it responds to one of our discussions recently, and we, we should have included this character in a particular discussion that we had. So we'll talk about that at the end of the show. But first, we have a couple smaller news items to mention to keep on everybody's radar. First of all, Micah, we heard about a um, charity event concerning Lumos this week. We have the chance to go to one of three Fantastic Beasts 2 premieres. That's right. You can take your pick. Well, not really. It's up to uh, those who are who are running this uh, contest. But three premieres for Fantastic Beasts 2 taking place in New York, London, and Paris. And uh, this is a little similar to what they did at uh, Carnegie Hall a couple of years ago when the first Fantastic Beast film was released. All the proceeds uh, went to charity for those tickets, and they're doing something cool where I think you make a $10 donation and it enters you to win a trip uh, to go to New York, London, or Paris. So it'll be interesting, the, the actual premiere um be interesting to see if they do something similar to what they did at Carnegie Hall in addition to that, because I think it's just a great kind of cause, right, for fans to be able to get to see the film and also uh, give back and contribute to Lumos, uh, an organization that J.K. Rowling obviously founded and has been super passionate about, and a lot of the actors and actresses in the series have been as well. So, I think it's a it's a really cool idea, and um, are we going to enter? How is that going to work? Uh, yeah, I think we should enter, guys. Well, one cool thing that you actually I really want to enter because if you donate fifty dollars, this isn't even a contest. You get a limited edition Fantastic Beast print from Mina Lima, featuring original artwork from the first screenplay book, mm. and it's gold foil. These are normally pretty expensive. Yeah, so. If you want a cool piece of Mina Lima art, these are the uh, graphic designers for both Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts. Um, you should do this. It's great to see that Lumos is doing this. Um, like they, they've done a lot of. Uh, I mean, Lumos is a, a charity, but um, there's also Omaze. If you guys heard about it, and a lot of current movies um, and like big, big, big properties are doing these Omaze sweepstakes where. You'll get to like have dinner with a star or attend a premiere as someone's guest. Um, and, and they do this thing like you're saying, Andrew, with the $50 reward. They're like, you know, you're donating, but you're also like 
paying for a certain physical gift in addition to being entered for the reward. So it's kind of like really extra incentive to like get some cool stuff. Yeah. I, I think I might donate 50 bucks. Plus, for every $10, you get a single entry to a trip to the premiere. Right. So you increase your chances. Yeah. But Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And, I, and I think just the fact that it is $10, it's, it's a low barrier to entry, so it's really easy for fans to be able to take advantage of something like that. Right. I'm going to answer now. Where's the MuggleCast credit card? <laughs> I mean, Sorry, did yeah. I say MuggleCast? I meant my personal credit card. <laughs> and it's sitting around here somewhere. Um, <laughs> we actually missed out on the higher donation level. I didn't realize this. Damn it. Wait, you could... you Something is sold out now, but if you spent a certain amount of money, they're they're hiding the cost now, you would get a signed copy of Fantastic Beast screen of fan, the Fantastic Beast screenplay. Huh. By J.K. Rowling. Crap. And 250 entries in the in the sweepstakes. How so much that, do you think that cost? Well, it would be like twenty five hundred dollars? Uh yeah, or uh twelve fifty or something. Well, no, it's te- it's one entry for every ten dollars. So oh, ten- oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then you're right. Yeah, that would have been okay. It's the next level above one hundred twenty. So they must have must have that's been a, a big pretty gap, big discount. Yeah, I don't know. Huh? Huh? Yeah, that's uh, man. I well, I didn't want to spend twenty five hundred dollars on this, but it would have been cool <laughs> to have a signed another signed book from J.K. Rowling. Another one? Do you have a, Do you have others? Oh, I'm sorry. That was uh. A slight humble brag. I apologize. <laughs> well, I have that signed copy of Half Blood Prince. Oh, I have casual, that. I have casual vacancy. I forgot you had the Half Blood Prince. You got that at uh, um, the the. I begged Emerson for it. Oh, okay. I was like, "Hey, I'm running MuggleNet. Can I have one of those signed books you got?" Uh-huh. He's like, "Oh, oh, oh, that's right. Yeah, you run MuggleNet. That's like sure. you and me in the podcast award. <laughs> <laughs> but I have it, and it's proudly. I'm looking at it right now. You didn't get the. Uh... Deathly Hallows signed? Okay. I swear to God, I had a signed copy of Deathly Hallows. I remember meeting J.K. Rowling and I asked her for a high five at that charity event that we all went to, but I don't know where that book is. <laughs> don't you? Do you, yeah, Micah? that's that was the big event where... Uh, she outed Dumbledore. She outed uh, Dumbledore. Yeah. Wait, 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 wait. No, no, no. Carnegie Hall. No. that Or was it Radio City? That was the event. Wait, were you there? Yeah, I was there because I have a signed copy of Deathly Hallows. Okay, <laughs> something happened to my book and like, I, f- I think I've brought this up on the show before. I think your parents sold it or your brother no, sold it. No. For Hamilton tickets. That would be so wrong. No, because like, I guess it happens because I know I high-fived her. I remember during the signing part, I was like, hey, can I have a high-five? And she said nothing. She just thought, who's this weirdo? Okay, I'll give him a high-five. All right, I need to go wash my hands now. And then after that, I don't know where the book went. And evidently, I've just forgot about it for years. And then I had a light bulb moment a few years ago where I was like, wait, didn't I get a sign? Anyway. Maybe it's still sitting there on the signing table. Maybe if you go back to the hall, you can get it. Maybe maybe Ben stole it. I bet somebody stole it from me. Didn't tell me. Maybe I gave it to somebody. Anyway, that really frustrates well, who me. who has access to your house? Huh? Or did you bring it to LA? Is that what you're saying? No. I don't. I don't know. I don't know, but I'm really frustrated. Let's move on. I don't want to think about it. I'm really disappointed. Okay. Well, I w- I, about these premieres, I would choose Paris, wouldn't you guys? I would do Paris too, yeah. I, can you choose though? Is it up to you or do you win whatever they tell you you win? I, well, I didn't I didn't watch this video with Eddie Redmayne, but I'm pretty sure I got an email saying you choose. I thought so, so too. 
Yeah. Because it's just like, one winner, isn't it? Yeah, and I'm assuming... Oh, I don't actually know if it's one winner, because it makes sense that it would be... Three. Oh, three winners is what the headline says. So, yeah, you get to choose... Well, then maybe you don't get to choose, because three winners... What if everybody chooses... Paris. London. Yeah. Or London. No? Yeah, but like I think Paris is a one-time thing, because the film is set in Paris. Um you know, the future films will presumably not be set in Paris. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, they're all set. Fundam- we learned this, uh, J.K. Rowling said they'd all be in a different place. So the idea they're doing three premieres seems a little excessive for this film, but I think it's warranted given that at least that, that they're really? doing Paris because I mean, of the... I mean, Potter had a ton of premieres, I feel like. Yeah, of course. More, more than we knew. I think it's significant that there's a premiere in Paris. That suggests that... Uh, we knew that this film was set in Paris, but... It evidently is a very big part of the film. It seems like they're doing a premiere here because it is a big part of the movie. That's the impression I got. Right. Yeah. I thought, Andrew, not to uh, dwell on a sore subject, but I thought you mentioned that you had Deathly Hallows like, inside a glass case. No, that was um, that's my Half-Blood Prince. And it's not glass. It's just plastic. Because <laughs> no. I was cheap. Well, you shouldn't be saying this on live... Uh... Why? Somebody going to steal it? Well, it's easier to steal if it's in plastic than in glass. Well, yeah, I I guess. I don't know. In the movies, it seems pretty easy to break through glass. Just take a That's hammer. That, that is very Never true. mind. By the <laughs> way, while I'm thinking of it, so um, last week we were analyzing the cover of the Crimes of Grindelwald screenplay, and yeah. somebody tweeted me, his name's Rob, and he pointed out, let me paste this in the doc so you guys can look at it. Um, that the bottom half of the cover actually makes a badger or a Jarvie or some sort of beast. Do you see the outline that he made? There's like a hidden creature in the cover. I'm oh yeah, I'm all in. I gotta look at this. Like the the cats in the center at the bottom are nose. You can see the eyes. You can see the ears. There is a- oh my god. Yeah, isn't that cool? Oh, my God. We'll have to post this in the show notes. So it looks like there's a giant beast on the cover, but you wouldn't know this unless you had a really good eye like Rob. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to be, wow. <laughs> this is blowing my mind. And you know what? It kind of looks like badgers in the in the top with the stripe. Uh, like each of the ears kind of look like a badger mm-hmm. from the side. Right. Each of what would be the ears in this beast look like separate badgers, which I didn't think I realized before. I like the Jarvie uh, suggestion more than the badger. Sorry, Eric. I mean, I mean, know that Newt is a Hufflepuff, but okay. Well, there you go. We'll see what that means. This is well done, though. I, that's a yeah, that's a great yeah. catch. We are recording on Saturday. The Tonys are on Sunday, and the Cursed Child is nominated in a bunch of different categories. So we don't know if they won just yet, but we'll say that uh, you know early congratulations to the Cursed Child. Presumably, they picked up a few <laughs> Tonys on Sunday. Now, I have a question for you, Andrew. How do you think the acceptance speech will go if Scorpius accepts the award? <laughs> I hope he doesn't scream, if that's what you're asking. Well, the show is nominated for 10 Tony Awards, including Best Leading Actor. We did actually mention this before, because I remember... Yeah, we talked about it. But um, I'm trying to think what the tech ones are. Best Direction. Eh. Lighting, we were fans of. Oh, yeah. Costume Design and Lighting... And choreography, I would also agree, and sound design are all really amazing. Like, I'd like to see the actors win. They, of course, deserve it. But above all of the acting is, I think, the the production is 
it has to be like the best thing on Broadway right now because it is just so intentionally new age and unlike anything that audiences will have experienced before. Yeah. Well, that's why it won so many Tonys. Yeah. Duh. Oh, nominated slash one. No, one. We're talking in the future. Ah, we're <laughs> in the future now. All right, well, um, before we move on to today's Order of the Phoenix discussion, Eric, we have a Patreon update. Yes, we do. Uh, Just a reminder that this year's physical gift for being our patron is a 16-ounce ceramic mug in house colors. And on one side is the famous Mike Bolt logo, and on the other side is the saying, no latte is safe. We're quite proud of that one. Um, anyway, I mentioned this last week. I may have been a little, uh, it may have been a little confusing when I mentioned it, but, um, you can still be a patron of ours, uh, over on Patreon. People are like, what do you mean I can't sign up? What's going on? Now I want to, now that you told me I can't. Um, but the time to sign up for mugs, if you aren't already a patron, has passed, unfortunately. Uh, there was a cutoff a couple of episodes ago, probably six or eight, where we said, you know, gotta sign up now to get a mug. But you can still be our patron over at patreon.com slash mugglecast. We would encourage you. Uh, album art is still going out for the next year of people who signed up and all of those goods, as well as monthly benefits, such as special conference calls, chapter readings, bonus mugglecasts, all that stuff. Just a reminder, our Patreon is still open. I fear that I accidentally said it was closed before. It's not closed. And I just want to... I was looking at the Patreon the other day, and I'm so impressed by how many people have are supporting us right now. So thank you so much. It really does mean a lot. And I know it motivates me every day yeah. to do the I best mean, show when possible. I, when, when I think about how many people are, are supporting us and you know, hearing the messages, and they're in our um, special patrons Facebook group as well. A lot of new people just added to that, like... It's really a, a fun community of our listeners that have, you know, chosen to to go along this crazy journey with us. So that that that's totally cool. And um, for those of you who have been patrons, uh, just a reminder: please choose your mugs. The instructions on how to do that are on Patreon. You have until June fifteenth to let us know which one you want, and then we'll place the order. Eric, which one are you going to get? Probably the Hufflepuff. I thought maybe you'd mix it up a little bit, but okay. You know, it's funny. We do have people ordering against their house type, according to some of the comments we're getting. How's Um, the uh, balance going? I know Ravenclaw was far out in front, as would be expected. Yeah, it's still, (laughs) as would be expected, it's still still the highest ranking. It's still like, it's no longer 42%, but it's like 39%. And we've had twice as many orders as last time. Um, Oh, Yep, 39.4% Ravenclaw and 26.8% Hufflepuff. So Ravenclaws and Hufflepuffs still lead with only 13% choosing Slytherin and 20% choosing Gryffindor. Hmm. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's great. Before we get into this Order of the Phoenix discussion, um, I found something I wanted to bring up. I had to search for it. Um, Jumping back to Chris Child real quick and Anthony Boyle screaming, he actually explained why he screams during the Cursed Child so much. Um, he considers it one of Scorpius's defining characteristics. Um, it was his own idea inspired by videos of purebred dogs with breathing, breathing problems, he explained, while mimicking pug noises. This is from an interview with BuzzFeed. <laughs> if the Malfoys were pure blood wizards surely they might experience some of the same genetic abnormalities like in scorpius's case being barely able to squeak out his words 
So he's drawing a comparison between purebred dogs and pureblood wizards. It's it's hmm. brilliant. I absolutely I love it. <laughs> I, I, if dogs have breathing problems, so do pure pureblood r- wizards, which is funny. Well, yeah. <laughs> I think I think it is true that uh, you know inbreeding can cause some some problems uh, with development, and um, I don't know. This breathing thing is is a new one for, for me to hear, but I, I think that it's um, entirely plausible. This is probably one of those things where when they were workshopping the character and like they saw the way that he did it and they were just like, whatever, dude, that seems cool. Um, I doubt though, or I seriously wonder if understudies or other actors in the role, such as for instance, on the West end right now, whoever's playing Scorpius, I'd be interested to know if they've kept sort of this screaming, squealing kind of thing, like, and instructed another actor to do what that actor had done. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I don't think so. They all bring their own twist to the characters, so I I doubt it. Also, that would be very hard on your voice. Anthony Boyle is evidently very dedicated. He's the only human who can do it. (laughs) So let's move on to our Order of the Phoenix discussion. Uh, Like we said last week, we're having an book five theme discussion each week uh, to celebrate 15 years since the book was released and this week we're talking about the about the fresh faces of the phoenix we learn we're introduced to many new characters uh luna lovegood bellatrix tonks umbridge fig fletch mundungus fletcher we're going to talk about all of them today and their contributions and what would we what we would do without these precious characters? Um They're not all precious. Well <laughs> they're precious in like a nostalgic way. Like ah oh, Okay. Uh, That's fair. That's I can't I can't believe how many of them are like I mean, book five is long, but I tell I still tend to think of it as like the Angry Harry book and I don't realize like how many important, like super, super important characters, like Tonks, for instance, where I'm like Really? She was only mentioned in book five first? Or Luna Lovegood, for instance, like who's huge. Everybody loves her. Yeah. Um, only only introduced in book five of seven. It just it doesn't feel that way because book five is so long. But really, like they, they don't even they're only in the second half of the series. And yet they inform and define the course of events of the second half of the series. And yet by the end of the books, we feel like we know them just as well as we know Harry or Ron or Hermione. Yeah. And by the way, I'm rereading Order of the Phoenix right now. I'm going to say this. I don't think Harry actually is that angry in this book. Yeah. Looking looking back after all these years, like, yeah, he has these bursts of anger, but he's not as angry as I remember and as as, as we always speak of him to be. Yeah. But, you think he was made to be more angry in the movie? Yeah, that could be part of it. Maybe. Mm. Because... As is always the case, one thing I find, especially going back and looking at a number of these chapters from Order of the Phoenix as we you know, take a look at these characters, is that there's so much detail and there's so many things that happen, interactions between different characters that you don't even recall because right. you're so accustomed to what you've seen on the screen and, and watching the film. And, and right. you know, I think it's always good to go back and look at the actual text and, and and it's just impossible to remember all the details unless you're rereading yeah. pretty frequently which i would love to do especially for the sake of this show Same. but it's a huge time commitment yeah so very much is i i don't think harry's as outwardly angry as 
we may remember at times, but he is kind of a jerk the whole year. Like, if you think about it, I, he's on the, in the train compartment when we first meet Luna Lovegood, for instance. He thinks to himself, I guess, which is kind of a good thing that he's not saying it aloud, but he wants to be surrounded by cooler people than Luna and Neville. He looks at him as like, what am I doing in this compartment with these losers? Like, he really feels that way. Yeah. And it's it's a fleeting thought. But I'm just like, really, dude? Yeah. So I think that's the thing is like he has it's it's his tormented year where he has these inner thoughts that like J.K. Rowling allows us to be privy to. And we're just like, man, that that's kind of harsh, dude. Like, chill out. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So let's start with uh, Luna Lovegood. Yeah, she is. She quickly becomes one of the fan favorite characters in the series. I think um, she affects the series because she puts Ravenclaw in a new light, and yeah. she prevents. She presents a complete alternative to the gloom and doom and the dark political climates. I mean, here's somebody who has a father who is the editor of the Quibbler, um, and she unlike so many others, actually believes Harry and Dumbledore. She's a true ally when when he's going through a difficult time. Um, And between believing Harry and having her father own the Quibbler, she's able to get out an interview (laughs) conducted by Rita Skeeter (laughs) in the Quibbler. And this is actually what turns the tide on the public support for Harry. Yeah, Um, People start reading this and, and start start believing it and as a reader it's very refreshing to finally it's very fulfilling to see people finally start believing harry because you as a reader believe him you were there with harry when voldemort returned so it's so frustrating that people don't believe him and to finally see the tide beginning to turn is wonderful yeah i think jk rowling through luna and her dad does a really like exquisite thing in showing how fringe members of society or oddballs or, you know, odd ones out can be super, super crucial and useful and helpful. And, you know, it's, it's their purity of spirit or heart that allows, you know, something like the, the quibbler to exist, which is the only publication in the entire wizarding world that is not able to be regulated by the corrupt, evil death eater ridden ministry. Like there, and and that's it's the only publication where they can get the truth out, like you said. So it's super yeah. super crucial, and it's just run by this guy that nobody could count on, you know, to be like nobody was thinking about. You know, the Death Eaters all overlooked this dude with this printing press because he was printing these mad ravings. Um, but both he and both Zeno and Luna are just capable of seeing the world in a at a completely different, if skewed, angle, and that is an immensely useful talent uh and and it's and it's a good kind of representation of people who aren't your standard you know even like ravenclaws or standard um you know, people in society mm-hmm. yeah and i think it's it's the first chance to really open up the world a little bit more sure there's ravenclaws that we've seen in the first couple of books but this is the first one i think for Harry that, you know, he really befriends, um, outside of Cho, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, actually something else I found interesting was that Harry is actually very uncertain about Luna at the beginning. 
And while it's nice that Luna believes his story, she's also a weirdo. (laughs) So, and it leads Harry to think, well, I mean, can I really appreciate this person believing me if it's a weirdo? (laughs) Because... Because is it only mm-hmm. the weirdos who are going to believe me? Does this really count? Should I feel good about this? <laughs> yeah. But I think it's it's that unyielding faith and sort of the blind faith, I guess you could say, that Luna has and her father has in Harry and in Dumbledore and the story that they're telling that really kind of, it, it may be sort of a, a confidence that it instills in him that he may not realize until the story progresses a little bit more, but he has this constant ally, right? From the beginning of this book, Mm -hmm. even though he's going through all these other things that would make it seem like the world is against him. And, you know, the, the, the Thestral moment too, I think it brings these two together and, and it creates a bond. It creates a friendship between them that, um, continues throughout the rest of the series. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the idea that he can see Thestrals and he's like, what, what the hell are these things? Where did, where did these come from? Do, you know? And she's just like, Oh, the Thestrals, you, Harry and me, the, the, the connection between the two of them is like, you can't argue it. Right. And it's just, a, it's a journey of acceptance for Harry. And towards the end of the book, Luna can hear the whispers behind the veil too. She's the only other one who can do that. Like, she and Harry have so much in common, and it's really not until the end of the series when, after Sirius's death, uh, Luna comforts Harry. I think it's chapter 38. Um, I was reading this earlier, but, you know, he really kind of warms to her in that moment and is like, you know what? No, you're, like, you're you're just like me, or you, you're my friend. Like, people are tormenting her because she's so different, but really she is just like Harry in a lot of ways, and I think there's finally at the end of this book uh, a big you know sort of connection and a and a lasting friendship so focusing on the quibbler interview without luna slash without her dad how would harry have gotten his story out there hermione still could have forced rita to do an interview with harry but where would it have been done i was thinking maybe they could have done a live interview in Diagon Alley, like a sit-down, <laughs> and people oh. crowd around. <laughs> Death Eaters would have crashed that in seconds. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, how about how about just posting flyers all around the Wizarding World, and like there's a printed interview, and people can just take it's, one. It's, <laughs> I like that idea. I think it's it's either that or ransack the Owlery and tie copies of the... Uh, <laughs> Tie copies of the the article to every owl in the Hogwarts Allery, and then send them off to like random wizards in the countryside, right? Or they start their own newspaper. <laughs> oh yeah, like a school like, school thing, kind of like Potter Watch, but maybe Potter Watch just would have started earlier. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's it's so important though that he has that validation because you know it, even going to the next character very briefly that we're going to talk about in in Bellatrix, you know, there's that line that she has when she's talking to Harry in the atrium where, when he says, sorry, when she says to him, you actually think, or, or I'm sorry, this is actually in the prophecy hall, you know, the dark Lord walking into the ministry of magic when they're sweetly ignoring his return. Um, you know, Harry's kind of prompting her and saying, Oh, well, the prophecy is right here. Why doesn't Voldemort just come and get it himself? And And this is her response. And it just shows you, how complicit the ministry and the Daily Prophet are 
in what's going on. Yeah. So without having the support of Luna, without having the support of her father and, and getting his story out, telling the truth, I don't know how it, how it would have come to light. Um, he, re- he really needed those allies. Yeah. Yeah. Scary to think otherwise. What would have happened otherwise? Yeah. No, Luna, Luna is great. And I mean, the funny thing is she was at Hogwarts the entire time, you know, Ginny was at least she's in Ginny's year. And because she's a year under or above, we see this in real life. Like how many undergrad or under people do you, do you, do you know, like underclassmen, um, you know, from high school or college, like, you know, you don't really have as many opportunities to meet Ginny newer and, and she's Ginny's, Ginny's her introduction into the group, but I'd love to know what Luna was doing earlier, you know, uh, during the events of, for instance, the Sirius Black occupation, um, or the scare of Sirius Black, or even the Chamber of Secrets. Like, Chamber of Secrets was Luna's first year, and I just would love to know everything about what she was doing. She was creating large hats. <laughs> she was, yeah, probably. She was looking for her sneakers. Yeah. yeah. Oh, poor girl. Well, why don't we move on to Bellatrix? Yeah. Yes. So the ever so sweet, evilly sweet Bellatrix Lestrange. Barf. Sounds like you like her, Micah. I think she's a great character. That's fair. Um, it is. And actually, uh, if you go on to uh, Patreon and take a look, we asked the question about who we thought um, from Order of the Phoenix, based on this list of characters that we have, had the biggest impact on the Potter series. And Bellatrix and Luna are actually deadlocked right now. Whoa! They have 49 votes apiece. Hmm. And um, no one is even close. Time to cast um, my after vote. that. <laughs> oh, well, no, 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 no. Can't skew it in the other direction. But um, Bellatrix is actually introduced to us in Goblet of Fire, not you know, in the way that she is in Order of the Phoenix, but Harry sees her um, in the pensive and she's described as a woman with thick, shining dark hair and heavily hooded eyes who is sitting in the chain chair, this is when she's being interrogated, as though it were a throne. And I think that's all you really need to know about her, right? (laughs) She's so pleased and happy with herself and and everything that she's accomplished you know you think about what she did to the long bottoms and all the just terrible things that she's done um as a death eater and as a follower of voldemort's we see her a number of times um you know come up in order of the phoenix and she's first referenced um during chapter six the noble and most ancient house of black and what I liked about this was, it, it, you, you know, you're sort of peeling back the curtain on Sirius and his family, and it's your first insight into really that these pure blood families, even going back, Andrew, to what you were talking about uh, with Cursed Child, um, you know, there's a little bit of inbreeding going on. And um, you learn that even a, a family like Sirius's has people in, in their in their in their lineage that they're not very proud of. Mm. And that includes the Lestranges mm. and includes, uh, you know, the blacks even to some extent. And so do you remember kind of reading this for the first time? Maybe not, but, you know, kind of learning more. You're, you're, it's a history lesson and, and it's kind of the things that you enjoy about the series as you read it to, to really get more insight. 
uh, into the black family, Regulus, uh, even coming up for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember reading it for the first time time but it was clear yeah, no, that, that that's that's a bad question to ask <laughs> but uh i i do remember that it, it was clear very early on that there was a deep scary bloodline here yeah very much so i mean bellatrix was raised a black with andromeda and narcissa and is sirius's first cousin it's kind of just kind of terrifying in and of itself that sirius would be at odds like and potentially wizard dueling and, and dueling to kill his cousins. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, very much for for that poll you mentioned, Micah, of which character had the most impact. As much as I love Luna Lovegood, um, Bellatrix, as we mentioned very recently on MuggleCast, was responsible for a number of major character deaths, characters we love, including Sirius Black, and another character we'll be talking about today, Nymphadora Tonks. You know, without Bellatrix... Don't forget Dobby. Oh, and Dobby. Without the, without the, without Bellatrix, the series would very much have been, I think, a happier or safer, a little bit safer world. So here's a character who is introduced, but it's not all sunshine, lollipops, and rainbows like Luna is. She's very dark. She's very committed to evil, and she's Voldemort's most trusted supporter. Absolutely, That's very scary. Yeah, and. You know, you you mentioned here that uh, there was a little bit of uh, a hint that was dropped in chapter twenty three, saying that hers was Creature's favorite photograph, uh, <laughs> and we we know how that plays itself out later on in the series. But you, know, I guess, throughout a lot of Order of the Phoenix, we're uncertain as to whether or not we're going to meet her and these other Death Eaters that have now broken out of Azkaban. We learn about that in chapter twenty five, but. What I really kind of enjoyed reading back over was in chapter 35 when Harry and Bellatrix have this confrontation in the Hall of Prophecies. Lucius Malfoy is there as well, but she speaks to him like like he's a baby, like he's still in, in the cradle. And um, you know, there's this moment where Harry, you know, Harry's having fun, I think, like because he's recognizing the power of holding this prophecy in his hand and that if it drops or breaks for any reason all these people that he's standing in front of are going to be in a whole lot of trouble. And he kind <laughs> yeah. of relishes in that moment. Na, 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 uh, na, 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 Neener, neener, right. neener. But there's this moment when he says Voldemort's name and this like sets her off. And, and this is really our first introduction to her as a character. You know, she, she takes the hood off and, and we know that it's Bellatrix. There's this whole back and forth where, you know, she calls him this filthy half-blood, and he's like, well, don't you know that Voldemort is a half-blood as well? And, you know, it's 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 really kind of this intense dialogue between the two of them. Um, but it just shows her her nature, right, how evil she is. And um, I thought it was also very revealing um, in this chapter, both her and Lucius show Harry's ignorance, right, about Sirius, the fact that he thought he was there, um, the fact that he doesn't even know about the prophecy and, 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 you know, it, it's just very, um, antagonistic, these moments between them. It's a shame because it's, it's of course coming to a head now, or Harry's about to learn all about that stuff, but almost after the point when he really could have used that info, right? It's only, it's only in Dumbledore's office after all of this goes down that Dumbledore is able to kind of talk about everything that these people are taunting him about not knowing 
right now. And it's like, well, Dumbledore could have used that, you know, yesterday. Um, but simultaneously, it's due to that connection between Harry and Voldemort that Voldemort is exploiting that Dumbledore was unable to tell him those things. So, that, I mean, I know that's a big part of book five is what Dumbledore is and isn't saying to Harry and how he's avoiding him. But Lucius and mm-hmm. Bellatrix are able to really grind Harry's gears on on that sort of fact that they are the adults with all of the knowledge and Harry is, you know, in many ways a baby in a cradle because of the way that Dumbledore has protected him or coddled him. Right. And, and she's not unwilling to inflict harm upon any of these children that are there, Mm. you know, in so much as it can kind of prompt Harry to hand over the prophecy, but we all know that doesn't end up happening. uh, And, you know, we get to the point where she's dueling with Sirius. She kills Sirius, the reaction from that and, you know, as Harry kind of chases her, um, she she isn't necessarily teaching him in a way, but she delivers the line that Voldemort actually delivers in the movie, which is you have to mean the unforgivable curses, you know, as Harry is kind of dueling with her. Um, but then again, more of sort of the back and forth between Harry and Bellatrix towards the end of this book. Um, and he's telling her that, hey, I smashed that prophecy. And she is so scared. You know, it's mentioned it's the first time he actually sees this fear manifest itself inside of her Mm. because she is so loyal to Voldemort that she doesn't want to believe that she has actually failed him. Right. Um, And we see kind of the first interaction take place between her and Voldemort at the end of chapter 30 or in chapter 36. And, you know, she's kind of like groveling and, and, She's not whimpering, but you can tell that she is very, very much afraid of the fact that she has disappointed him in any way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is part of following somebody like Voldemort. You absolutely cannot let him down because you also risk death. I don't know if Voldemort ever would have killed Bellatrix, but it probably certainly felt that way to her. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So we get insight. We get exposed to really Voldemort's biggest henchman, henchwoman uh, in this case, you know, her, his, his right hand woman. So, um, and, and she is not a pleasant character by, by any stretch. I mean, think about it within a chapter of her being introduced. She kills Sirius. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, (laughs) kind of begs the question, what would the series be like without her? Well, much more pleasant. <laughs> Harry would have a father figure still. So oh, that would man. be nice. Yeah, I mean that that is a brutal introduction for a reader. <laughs> yeah. She kills somebody who Harry loves so much who is a who is this the only member of of Harry's family in his opinion. Yeah. I mean, she's also one of the only female death eaters we know. I mean, Narcissa is there uh and you know, has some good characterization. She is a fierce mother and sort of protector to Draco. But uh, Bellatrix, even though I guess she is also a wife, is very much sort of an independent agent, uh, an agent of chaos, and is a woman. And I think that that is important to show sort of, because without her, we just have a bunch of stodgy, old, presumably white men in masks. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not exciting at all, right? Bellatrix, I think, literarily adds a... um, a flair 
to the Death Eaters. The fact that this woman is so evil and and committed to the and and is right up there with any of the men in in being evil and furthering Voldemort's goals is super kind of interesting. Like I think it it matters that J.K. Rowling gave sort of his most uh, or made his most um, loyal servant a woman. You know who else she killed? Tonks. Belich- oh. <laughs> yes, she she kills Tonks, who we're going to talk about now, focusing less on the end of her life than on the beginning. You know, the first few chapters uh, of Order of the Phoenix, starting with chapter three, The Advance Guard, when we first meet Nymphadora Tonks, don't call me Nymphadora, is just such a, a delight. She's this young spunky auror, right? She's this this person who has these unique gifts. She's a metamorphmagist. She is able to entertain uh, all the kids when they're stuck in Grimald Place, and it's this dark, dingy, you know, wood, like, headquarters that nobody's really quite comfortable in. She brings a much-needed sense of comfort to the entire group, and being a such a young auror, she's only a year out of training, um... She really, I think, makes that position cool in a way that I think is important for Harry. I mean, Harry eventually or has always sort of been guided along the path to becoming an R. But just like I previously said about Bellatrix and the Death Eaters uh, moments ago, Tonks really adds a, a level of cool to the R's. Mm. Yeah, a friendly face. A, yeah. She's very relatable, I think. So maybe seeing Tonks as an Auror makes Harry realize, okay, you don't have to be a super serious uh, wizard to be an Auror. Does that make sense? I mean, we also see in this book, by the way, that Harry is seriously considering becoming an Auror. He talks to McGonagall about that. And Umbridge tries to put him off from it, but... Yeah, career advice. uh, He still wants it. Yeah. And, I mean, she's she's just sort of... uh, A couple of facts we know about her from talking with her is you know her mother is andromeda black who is super awesome by the way we talked about her a lot recently um and she was never made a prefect because she couldn't behave herself like professor sprout who i tend to think of as being like the head of house who like would give the most leeway to people um you know doesn't make tonks a prefect because she does not behave and tonks herself is just so inquisitive uh, it's like beyond her, her own good. And she's kind of clumsy as well. Like certain aspects of becoming an R were easy for her. She mentions passing concealment and disguise without any effort at all whatsoever due to her natural born ability as a metamorphmagist. But other things like, um, stealth and, uh, what's the word? Not, not lack of de- detection, stealth and detection, um, not being detected are harder and, it took her three years to complete the R program, which is just like very much the embodiment of a Hufflepuff. She put in the work to to get there, and she's where she is uh, and is as an accomplished witch as she is because she put in the work. And I think that's really kind of a good role model for everybody um, in Order of the Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And... In um, just the next year, I mean, we really do see a lot of spell work from Tonks in years five and six. Most of it is nonverbal, by the way. Like, she's casting curses and jinxes and uh, even conjures her Patronus 
without saying the spell, and we know that that is harder uh, to do than than saying the spell. So I think you know it's really kind of understated. But Tonks is super super powerful, and the biggest thing that broke my heart is Mad Eye Moody was her mentor, um, and Mad Eye Moody she was his protege, and you know due to events of uh, Book Seven. You know, she sees him killed. Another character that we're going to be talking about a little later on, uh, Mundungus Fletcher, causes that. But she and Moody were tight in a way that I would like to know more about. And I think he really also would have admired sort of her attitude and what she brings to the group. She's just dead useful. And I think everyone, the every character in book five is happy to have her around. And I think that says a lot. Yeah, I agree. She's sort of a refreshing addition to the Order of the Phoenix. And um, James, who's listening live on Patreon right now, he brings up a good point. He says, I'm just realizing now how many new female characters Order of the Phoenix added compared to books two through four. Yeah, Bellatrix. Yeah, I mean, all the the exception being um, Mundungus. We're talking about women today. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Happy Pride. Well, you mentioned there's a question at the top of the deck, which I love that you put in here about when should these characters have been introduced before if they weren't well, introduced if, now? Right. Yeah. And I know Bellatrix was mentioned in the, the in Goblet of Fire, which is cool. Mundungus also was mentioned in books two and four. But um, for Tonks, I was wondering, since she's a year out of our school, it means she would have been an R the year before as well in Goblet of Fire. And I would actually have liked to have first met her in Goblet of Fire if she came to Hogwarts as part of the Triwizard Tournament to like help things run smoothly or you know what's what interests me in general is because she was so attached to Moody and Moody was missing for a year I mean he was presumably at Hogwarts she could have been someone to detect that Barty Crouch Jr you know, was not really Moody. If she had spent mm-hmm. any closeness to Mad-Eye Moody during Harry's fourth year, she might have been maybe at dan- in danger of detecting, you know, sort of the secret. So she would have been uniquely qualified, I think, to realize something was was up, was something was afoot with, well, with her old mentor. It it still just boggles, boggles my mind that Dumbledore <laughs> didn't detect anything. yeah. Not just, I mean, I understand that Tonks would have had a closer relationship uh, with Mad-Eye. I think that's completely fair, though. <laughs> um, but it speaks to the level of skill with which Barty, I mean, I, well, I guess he probably interrogated Moody and somehow succeeded in doing so um, to get enough of his mannerisms down pat Yeah, uh, to do that. But still, so super, super cool. Tonks is really just... In in book of in book five, she's a breath of fresh air yeah. for sure. All right, well, the complete opposite of Tonks now, Dolores <laughs> Umbridge. We've yeah. obviously she is the worst character. I think we decided that a few weeks ago when we <clears throat> discussed who was the worst in the series. Yep. Um, you know she is she's a great character in that you hate her so much you really feel something while you're reading. Uh, this entire book because she's just doing one awful thing after another you thought um making harry's hand bleed with that special pen was bad it just gets worse and worse like you know there's that scene where uh filch is going into her office to find the order to allow for whipping in hogwarts (laughs) like 
just a really terrible person and all these rules and kicking out Dumbledore and kicking out Trelawney, at least from teaching. Just really awful. And um, she... Her her importance to the book cannot be overstated. She's the reason that Dumbledore's army forms, because she yeah. and the Ministry uh, water down the Defense Against the Dark Arts class to only read about def- uh, defending yourself against the Dark Arts as opposed yeah. to practicing the spells. And um, she's the reason that the readers, us readers, are led to despise the Ministry, because her and the Ministry are working to conceal the truth about um, Harry and Voldemort and just working to make Hogwarts a worse-off place. That said, reading this book again, Dumbledore did have a lot of lax rules at the school. Sure, it gave the school the charm that we all love about Hogwarts, but it was pretty (laughs) relaxed. (laughs) They did have oddball teachers. There were some questionable things. I mean, just... For an example, like if she were to have come into this story earlier, if her and the ministry had a harder hand on Hogwarts earlier, there would not be a Triwizard Tournament. That thing is incredibly dangerous. Similarly, <laughs> Lupin would not have taught because they don't like werewolves teaching in the school. Um, and, you know, there's also just the issue with Umbridge that, like our current American president, she does not operate in reality. Um yeah. Like I said earlier with with Luna, um, during the Luna discussion, we as a reader know that Voldemort is back. Um, and then watching her say to Harry over and over again, you know what I said, do not tell lies. It's just awful to read. Yeah. I mean, she is she's yeah. the embodiment of bureaucratic evil, her suppression of truth and the that, that things we know to be true as readers, is really, really remarkable because it's a losing battle on Harry's side because the power of the ministry means that most people with their natural uh, you know, desire for comfort ignore the truth and are much more willing to believe the lies readily provided to them mm-hmm. by Umbridge and Fudge. Yep. I was also just thinking about, you know, if Dumbledore was kicked out earlier, if she was the Hogwarts High Inquisitor sooner, if there was the Inquisitorial Squad sooner. I mean, just, uh, uh, it's so frustrating to read. I don't think I could take it for more than one book. Yeah. We also see the side of her, uh, you know, how she reacts to the centaurs, right? When they're in the Forbidden Forest, uh, she has really no respect for anything that doesn't, measure up to what her vision of you know i don't want to say acceptable but just just thinking through like she has a standard right the ministry's standard let's say and even she goes above and beyond that um in her office and recalling the movie specifically here but you know when she puts fudge's photo kind of down and on its face when she's about to try and use um, one of the inf- unforgivable curses to get answers that she wants. Mm. I mean, she's she's really willing to go above and beyond to supersede even what the ministry would deem appropriate in certain situations. And I think that at its at its core demonstrates pure evil. Yeah. She's racist uh, against centaurs. She treats Hagrid badly because of his mixed race. Um, yeah. And like anybody who distreats Hagrid, you know, mistreats Hagrid is 
not a, not a person that I like. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Um, I mean, in the again, the film, but because um, I, I can't recall if she does this in the book, but she measures Flitwick. Oh Jesus! Yeah, you're right. I think that is a movie, isn't? But I think you're you're exactly like it's perfect for the movie because that sums up her character would absolutely do that. Um, she's just not. She's the kind of evil that gets away with it because people like to be lied to or value the power that her office holds. Um, and, and that's the, the whole point of book five is to sort of illustrate this. Like if book four hadn't ended with Voldemort coming back and us actually seeing him, maybe there would have been more nuance in the point of, you know, Oh, we're not sure if Umbridge is doing the right thing. The beauty of introducing a character like Umbridge in book five after Voldemort has returned is, you know, she's not doing the right thing. Um, she might believe that she is doing the right thing. And that's an interesting character thing to get into about what her own skewed sense of reality is, but she is not doing the right thing. And she's the one, you know, it's revealed at the end of book five who sent dementors to little winching and sent the mentors after Harry, like the, the minister himself. This was before she even knew him before she had ever met Harry Potter. She sent dementors after him. And that was, and she, it was something that it was so illegal. She couldn't even tell, fudge that she was doing it but she thought it would achieve an end and help to discredit harry or completely remove him from the picture like she is pure evil yeah yeah and we see her align herself with them you know in in subsequent books but in in her own way it's crazy like there's there's two different forces of evil that are at play here right there's sort of the umbrage fudge ministry which they think by doing all the things that they're doing they're preventing you know anything uh, getting out there that they believe to be untrue. But in, in fact, they're actually feeding into that pipeline of, of Voldemort getting stronger and, and being able to sort of operate under a disguise almost, right? It goes back to what Bellatrix said, um, you know, to Harry about, you know, why would Voldemort just up and walk into the ministry when the ministry is doing such a good job of believing that he's not back? Right. <laughs> you know, they they were they were the single biggest contributor to his rise to power. Um, right. In, in yeah in the series. Yeah, Absolutely. I think, yeah, I think we've spoken about this before. I mean, they 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 you know while everybody you know that that was valuable time they could have been spending getting ready to fight him or stop him in his tracks. Yeah. You know, instead of being like, oh, Sirius Black was the reason all these Death Eaters broke out of Azkaban. Sirius Black is the leader here. No, this was precious time. They could have been stopping Voldemort from yeah. continuing to return to power. But her emails, but her emails, Sirius Black, Sirius Black. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think, too, like, uh, it's so fitting that Dolores Umbridge ends up wearing a Horcrux. <laughs> like, yeah. wearing part of Voldemort. Like, to see, because it perfectly illustrates, like... The two, the way that the two sides work together, you, you you need a character like Dolores Umbridge because Fudge is distant and incompetent and just in the background. You need a character who's like no holds barred. This is a character whose will it is that the truth be suppressed. And so you need Dolores Umbridge. Like book five would not be the same without her. The whole series wouldn't be the same if you didn't have uh, this political undercurrent that jk rowling weaves in through the character of dolores umbridge and the books would be much lesser although 
you know, I'd be happier while reading them uh, if it if it weren't for, you know, if Dumbledore, if Umbridge were not in them. How about we move on to a character we really like? All right. Let's talk about Arabella Doreen Fig. What? <laughs> That's her middle name. I love it. Um, so Mrs. Fig is somebody that we obviously know about coming into this book, but haven't really, you know, had a face-to-face interaction and um, she shows up um, shortly after Harry has uh, chased off a pair of Dementors who have attacked both himself and Dudley in the very first chapter of Order of the Phoenix. And we learn that Mrs. Fig is, in fact, a squib who has been watching over Harry for quite some time. And... What about this revelation? I mean, this this is pretty big. This shows that somebody has been there the entire time with an eye on Harry, yeah. unbeknownst to any of us. Yeah. I, I think what it says is Dumbledore is a very smart guy who does have a master plan, <laughs> who is keeping he's Harry protected, even though he seems distant. We're aware of the protection of Private Drive, but my question is, is this really the best person to be watching over Harry? I'm really I mean, just just take this well, incident by itself, right? Dementors, and we know that Mundungus Fletcher was supposed to be there as well, and he just kind of up and apparated away at a crucial moment. Oh, wait, he does that in book seven too. But <laughs> it, you know, she has no ability to protect Harry, and 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 never has, right? So, is she the best equipped person to be watching over a child who is? You know, being chased down by supposedly the most evil wizard of all time. I don't think it's about being equipped. It's about finding somebody who can keep an eye on him. If she's a squib, she's not very actively involved in the wizarding world, I suppose. So she is able to live outside of the wizarding world, live in the muggle world in a completely ordinary neighborhood, and just keep an eye on him. That's that's all Dumbledore needs her for. Because if, I mean, can an Aura live there full time? No, you got to have somebody who doesn't have a job, <laughs> who just sits around it's... And, and can p- poke her head out the window and just be around at all times. And that requires somebody who isn't involved in the Wizarding it's World. It's actually community. an incredible yeah. point that you make, yeah. I, I think that, uh, and Mrs. Fig's use is is predominantly the first, you know, 12 or 13 years of of Harry's life. Like, I think that that's the big thing is Dumbledore needs somebody to report to him on Harry's early life before he's at Hogwarts. And that's what Mrs. Fig is. And she's mentioned as early as book one, I think it is as being this crazy cat lady neighbor that the Dursleys love putting Harry with because he always has such a horrible time. And I love that we get the payoff of, uh, you know, she apologizes to him. She's like, I had to make it a horrible time for you or, the Dursleys never would have let me see you. So she she absolutely is like, she doesn't, I, I understand the need or the desire to have somebody who's actually magically equipped. As you said, Micah, like to defend against Dementors, she couldn't even do that if she wanted to. So it doesn't make much sense. But as a spy for Dumbledore, as like a general, you know, here's your monthly or weekly update, however often she, you know, confided in Dumbledore about Harry's mistreatment. I think that was always a an ever-present issue is, What's the tipping point between how the Dursleys are treating Harry and how much Dumbledore is willing to tolerate? We we find out, I guess, it was never tipped, right? And, and whatever 
Fig did was right. never it was you know she wasn't able to communicate how horrible the situation was or Dumbledore still thought the protection of love was greater but yeah it's not until Harry is older and these wizards want to attack him and these other things that are going on that it makes sense to have proper wizards by his side but she really does serve I guess her position beautifully um the first you mm-hmm. know 13 or so years and and I'd like to yeah. know how Dumbledore met her yeah that, that's another good question Maybe we can tweet J.K. Rowling about it. I think we see can, if she actually has should. an answer. Yeah. But, but even if those people that he puts in place, right, to your point about having the right uh, wizards in place to look after him, she mentions to him that, you know, did you think with everything that happened you know, back in June that there weren't going to be people looking after you? It just so happens that he puts his faith into Mundungus Fletcher yeah. uh, and – Mundungus, you know, goes off to try and get some um, some cauldrons, discount cauldrons, whatever it was. And, <laughs> hey, there's a hot sale on. <laughs> yeah, and and again, this is something that he's known for. You know, at least when he disapparates or in 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 Deathly Hallows, he's doing it because he's staring down Voldemort instead of just looking to to get a good deal yeah. um, on some cauldrons, but. The other thing I just wanted to mention real quick about Mrs. Fig was that um, she does have sort of an army of cats that she relies upon. The one that's mentioned is is, is Mr. Tibbles, and he's sort of the secondary lookout because even it's clear that Mrs. Fig doesn't put much faith, faith into Mundungus Fletcher. And I want to know what's the deal with squibs and cats because if you look at Filch, he has Mrs. Norris, and Mrs. Norris kind of has that additional, you know, capability intelligence to, 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 to notice trouble and to inform him and there seems to be like a connection between squibs and cats well, i don't know what it aren't is aren't they nasals aren't they huh. not they're not really cats they're nasals which are magical beasts that are like big cats For fig, yeah but is mrs norris a nasal as well i don't think uh I think so. I'm, I'm looking it up I, uh, you know Crook what shanks i, I mean they don't look so. the same at all Crookshanks is uh yes okay apparently we mentioned fig not having a job According to the HP Wikia, the source is actually cited, which is interesting and uncommon for them. Uh, she apparently makes her living breeding measles. So her whole cat thing, she's got like a racket going. She's like, see, and that 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 that's a work from home job. There there is why she can job. balance yeah, absolutely making measles and watching but Harry. I love the compare, like the question that you ask about Filch and and, and Mrs. Fig, and I I think it yeah. has to do with their connection or lack thereof to the wizarding world. Like whether Mrs. Norris, nay Filch is a nasal. I'm not sure. I can't find anything here, but it it is that extra connection to the wizarding world. Cats or familiars, which is uh, historically have like black cat companions. I think it's just, it's either a reference to the fact that, you know, witches often have cats or for Mrs. Fig and for Filch, it's their desire to to feel connected to a world that they're only sort of half shut out of. Right. And so think about having an animal, any of us, you, you get one for companionship. And I think to Eric's point, this is companionship plus companionship within the wizarding world. Like you kind of have... A, a line into the wizarding world thanks to having this magical being with you so but yeah that is a great point micah that you bring up about <laughs> norris and filch both having a uh 
skilled cat amongst with uh, being partnered with one. It's a terrible sentence. I'm sorry. (laughs) Definitely. Definitely. And um, yeah, I mean, the only other thing I would say about her is that she also references that she hasn't told Harry more because of Dumbledore's orders. And I feel like that's something that we do hear a lot of in order of the Phoenix. And it just kind of adds to Harry's angry persona that comes through at times. All right. Well, we mentioned Mundungus. He's our last character. The only guy we're talking about today. Unbelievable. I didn't even notice that we were putting the doc together. Um, Mundungus Fletcher, unfortunately, is not much of a man. Uh, He is a coward. He is a thief. And he's very unpleasant, both in looks and uh, smells. He smells of pipe tobacco. He, I mean, our first introduction to him is him abandoning his post to go buy these discount cauldrons or to negotiate a, a sale of cauldrons. And, and Arabella Fig even shouts, I'm going to kill Mundungus Fletcher. Um, there's, it doesn't, our position on him doesn't really improve. He's the member of the Order of the Phoenix that nobody really wants around, but he's loyal to Dumbledore because Dumbledore helped him out of a tight spot a little while ago. And Dumbledore wants Mundungus there because he has insight into the criminal underworld that nobody else does. So it's it's very much a um a Remus Lupin character if Remus were a schlub because of his unique connection to the werewolf, you know, side of things and it's just generally useful to employ somebody like Mundungus who's actually I guess a skilled thief um to to kind of watch over i mean he basically dumbledore has mundungus track harry i think it's during the events of uh books no book five the whole dumbledore's army thing going on and 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 the secrets are revealed to dumbledore because mundungus is disguised uh, as a witch in the in the bar room in the tap room of the hogshead when everyone's getting together so dung is just that that criminal element that you kind of need to liaise with other criminals. But unfortunately, he just proves time and time again that he's not cut out to be a protector for Harry or or literally anyone else. Unfortunately, he's to a fault only interested in saving his own skin. And you have here, he affects the series because he's the reason Umbridge gets a horcrux, which of course is a major issue. And and for that reason, they have to go into the ministry. Exactly. Trio. I mean, they wouldn't have to do near as much. The the the, the proper locket would be upstairs or in creatures' um, little little cove. Uh, I don't mean cove is in the cave where they found the locket. I mean it just this little storage area under the closet or whatever um, of stuff. If dung hadn't pillaged from the dead. Or or pillaged from Harry. I mean, after Sirius's death and after the events of Book Five. And it, it just makes Harry so angry. Dung, and, and rightly so. Dung steals all his shit. Dung nicks like silver and uh, all sorts of like valuable materials from Grimald Place. He's not afraid of any spells because the the he sets his eye on all the profit he can make off of Sirius's old stuff, which is now belonging to Harry. He sells it. I mean, he's truly an utterly despicable character. And he's kind of like, you just wonder why... He exists. But, but I do like your point that occasionally you got to have a bad guy working yeah. with you. And uh, Dumbledore saw a couple of benefits to Dung, as you affectionately keep calling him. Yeah. Dung. Dung-da-dung. And I mean... 
Uh, yeah, and then the reason he's the reason that Mad Eye Moody dies come book seven. So that he's, sucks. Yeah, he's really a character. Like without him, there would be less nuance. Without him, there would be fewer gray areas in the in the Harry Potter books. I think that I think it's important to have gray areas. But he's kind of like a Peter Pettigrew, where you're just like, man, this guy doesn't have a spine, and he only causes negative side effects for the side of good like the entire time all right so to wrap up this discussion micah over on patreon we uh asked which character had the biggest impact on the series you mentioned yeah, the polls and pretty I close, see huh? Luna has jumped ahead by one vote. Um, it wasn't me. We'll, we'll still stay uh, that race. That race is too close to call. Because <laughs> um, I think that uh, Eric uh, went and voted. Or, I didn't. It know, wasn't did me. Some. Well, I'm guessing maybe somebody listening live did. Uh, but yeah, very close between um, Luna and Bellatrix. So uh, no surprise there. Dolores Umbridge, actually, for as, as much as she was voted on to be the most evil character outside of Voldemort in the series... Um, from an influential standpoint, um, only has 25 votes right now. So, um, and then the other characters uh, falling um, very, very uh, far behind in terms of uh, being significant in the voting process. But uh, interesting to see some of the comments, uh, too, that people, that they did make. Um, Jessica Hardy said about Luna, uh, I think Luna was so important to the readers, not so much because she changed the storyline or had a huge role to play, but because I think she probably helped and reassured many children, teenagers, and even adult readers that just because they aren't popular or mainstream, that they still can be cool, funny, and have friends and adventures and be a valued part of a group. Luna made it cool to be quirky. Yeah. yeah. I like this comment from Mana. She says... I voted for Luna because it's easy to replace a bad person in a war with another one. Just tell another ritual oil Death Eater to place the Horcrux in their vault or send another raid of ruthless Death Eaters to torture the Longbottoms. But it is so much harder to replace a good soul. Luna's soul is so pure and full of love and her impact on Harry's mind and heart and really the readers is outweighs all the crap that Bellatrix did while she was still insanely powerful and story changing, of course. Uh, That's a great point. Yeah, very much so. Um, and then Lisa Shipowitz um, mentioned something that we touched on earlier. Umbridge changed everything. Without her, there is no Dumbledore's army. Harry doesn't gain all the confidence teaching everyone. She's a force that brought the three houses together. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> the three houses. <laughs> I got to say, I'm very surprised by Luna having such a big lead in this poll. Well, but, you know how many Ravenclaws we have over on our Patreon. <laughs> right. That's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I guess I would vote Luna just from the Quibbler standpoint. I just find the public agreeing, starting to agree with agree with Harry thanks to that interview. Um, that was enormously yes. helpful. Yeah, and then Nikki Beck also says Umbridge um, because it was her first experience with somebody so blindly following a cause. Even now I have a hard time rereading her because the current state of the world and how many umbrages seem to be roaming. Hmm. So bring, okay, cool. Well, thanks to everybody who participated in that poll over at patreon.com slash mugglecast, where so many of our supporters are hanging out week to weekly. We really appreciate it. So I teased the voicemail earlier, earlier this episode, Let's play it. Short, sweet, and I love it. Hey, this is Parker. I'm from uh, Alabama, and I was just uh, calling to talk about your um, your solo kind of discussion about movies. And I think I'm pretty confident that the only movie that would actually work 
um, and would make money would be a Hermione movie, uh, one that had Emma Watson in it, actually. Anyway, thanks. Love the show. Thanks. Bye. Okay. We never mentioned a Hermione movie. I thought that would that would be such a great idea. Think of how many female Harry Potter fans there are. And for all these movies and books, it's, oh, Harry's story, Harry's story, Harry's story. How about a story with a girl in the lead? Well, I'm all for the having a girl in the lead, but we've, we see Hermione grow up just like we see Harry grow up. All the events of yeah, but- the entire books are maybe not from her point of view, but we definitely under- we see... Like, are we talking about before Hogwarts? Because the first 11 years of... No, I think after. Uh, I'm confused. I think this voicemail was almost too short, too sweet. (laughs) Like, what what part of Hermione's... uh, I think we talked... I just think if any... If if one spinoff solo movie was going to be successful, I think it would be Hermione because she's probably the most popular character in the series after harry potter maybe yeah and i i know people do really love emma watson's portrayal of her and i think we talked about this but like hermione goes back to hogwarts after the battle um and does her seventh year and finishes that and i would be interested in learning about sort of what that it would be sort of contemporaneous with the rebuilding of the castle and i'd i'd i would absolutely read a book or watch a movie that's you know hermione's seventh year at hogwarts and what do people always say about Hollywood. We need more movies with female leads. J.K. Rowling writing the Hermione movie. I just think that would be phenomenal. Hermione. I don't... A Wizarding World story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how did you get your last name? <laughs> I was going to say, is it time for Quizich? Uh Yes, it is. It's time for Quizich, everybody. So last week's question was, uh, and, and all of the questions this month will be book five themed. Uh, last week's question, of course, was a witch or wizard who is gifted at reading minds in the Harry Potter universe is called a what? And the correct answer is legilimens. So remember, legilimency is the ability or the act of reading someone's mind. A legilimens is someone who can do that, which is the answer to the question. And occlumency or an occlumens is someone who practices the art of shutting others out of their mind it's the thing that harry most needs to learn and doesn't in book five so thank you to the people who submitted the correct answer we play this game over on twitter twitter.com slash mugglecast or at mugglecast with your answer um last week's winners are erica targaryen sean brady fool of a toque amy hill mimi eve by the way thanks uh, congratulations on winning your third quizich in a row amanda miller dante gutierrez Max Newding, Dr. Keen, Kate Mould, Hannah, Ali Gove, Rochelle, Mandy, Yasmin, Simply Shiny, Kim, Kelly, Jenna, Danielle, Aaron, Robin, Daniela, and Jennifer. Make the questions harder again. Well, at the last time I made it hard, only one person answered or nobody answered that one week. And I just feel a little nervous about it. But okay, here's one that isn't in uh, the books. And so you'll have to source... Um, somewhere else but it is still book five themed and relates directly to our discussion the question is who does jk rowling say would win in a fight between crookshanks and mrs norris okay so that's uh yeah i think people have to do some digging then then again you only have a 50 
50 shot so yeah you can probably just guess i just want as many people answering this as uh, we'll be back with a a harder question next week but uh all right look it up there was definitely somebody definitely asked uh that question at some point throughout the 19 years that we've been communicating with uh, jk rowling i'm gonna say mrs norris just because i feel like argus has raised her to be a tough kitty okay yeah i'll go with crookshanks yeah we'll see uh, more than that answer next week. And remember, we play this game on Twitter, twitter.com slash MuggleCast. And there's another thing we can explore in the Hermione origin story. How did Crookshanks defeat Mrs. Norris? <laughs> the dueling club that we never did. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> dueling club animal edition. <laughs> yeah. Who would win? Argus Filch? Arabella Fick? Ooh. <laughs> Definitely Mrs. Uh, Fig. Mrs. Fig has they would just They would just both lose. <laughs> <laughs> they both like pants out. No winner. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Do check out our website. If you need to get in touch with us, just click on the contact link at the top and you can contact us via the feedback form or um, you can get our voicemail number there, which is one nine two zero three muggle one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. We do listen to all the voicemails. So thanks to everybody who calls in. And similarly, we do read all the emails that come in and all the tweets we get and all the Facebook posts, all that stuff. We don't have time to play slash read them all here on the show, but we do appreciate this feedback. So thanks. It's nice to hear from everybody. It it reminds us that people are listening. (laughs) It really does. Yeah. Um, A quick reminder, all the episodes are restored on the MuggleCast website. So if there's an old episode you want to listen to, you can Get back there and uh, listen to our 13-year archive. We're coming up Crazy. on our birthday, which is in August. And just one other thing to mention about that, too, is all the characters, for the most part, I think, that we spoke about uh, in this episode, there are older episodes, and um, we'll pull them and, and put them in the show notes, but that really do a deep dive into some of these characters, um, you know, just kind of top of mind looking through this list. I know that we've spent entire episodes talking about characters like Umbridge and, and Bellatrix and probably Luna Luna. Definitely. We've had Ivana Lynch on quite a few times. So, Mm. um, there, there are episodes out there where we do go deeper into these characters. So, uh, just something to, uh, add Andrew to what you were saying about, uh, the website and past episodes. Yeah. Yeah, there's a search bar on the MuggleCast website as well, so that'll help you find particular episodes you might be looking for. Uh, one quick reminder, we do have a P.O. box where you can snail mail the show if you're into that sort of thing. I know Andrew had a birthday recently, and I think we didn't uh, announce this enough during that time. So uh, the P.O. box address <laughs> is 4044 North Lincoln Avenue, Box 144 in Chicago, IL 60618. Not to guilt anybody, but uh, send him a card or something. I just want you to listen to the show. That's all I ask for for my birthday. Aww. Mike and Eric, I would like gifts from, but <laughs> the rest of you, just your support means enough to us. That's very good. To me. Yeah. All right, everybody. Thank you very much. We'll be back next week with another Order of the Phoenix discussion. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Michael. See you next time. Bye. 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 Bye.